so uh, hello everyone uh, good afternoon uh, welcome to another episode of uh, the legal matters uh, podcast today uh, we have the podcast in english and we are revisiting the topic of international arbitration uh, my guests today are dr galina zugova and my colleague agis georgiadis uh, galina and agis welcome to the Legal Matters podcast. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Thank you for the invitation, Christopher. So um, let me make a short introduction about my guests. Uh, Dr. Zugova is from Latvia, uh, where she studied law. She has a PhD from the European University Institute of Florence, Italy, and an LLM from the University of Exeter. She's uh, a visiting scholar at the Yale University, and she speaks seven languages. She speaks English, French, Italian, Latvian, Russian, and Spanish. Don't you get uh, confused, Galina, with... I always had this question. When you speak more than two, three languages, don't you mix them up? <laughs> well, let's, let's organize a separate section on this. I would okay. be most pleased to participate in it. It's a good topic. Okay. And uh, Dr. Zugova is also a leading uh, arbitration practitioner with 20 years of legal experience. I will post uh, here uh, the webpage uh, of uh, Galina so that uh, everybody can uh, go and see her CV if interested. Uh, Ayis Yoriadis uh, is a very good friend. He's a Cypriot uh, lawyer. Uh, he holds a law degree from the University of Leeds and uh, an LLM from the London School of Economics, and he's also a barrister. Ayis uh, is also an accredited mediator and a fellow of the Charter Institute of Arbitrators. He's one of the best qualified uh, Cypriot lawyers in international arbitration. He specializes in commercial and construction dispute resolution, and he's also a member of the teaching faculty of the law faculty of the University of Nicosia. I will also post Ayis uh, CV uh, under the notes in Facebook. And um, today we are going to talk about DELOS uh, dispute resolution. Um, it is an international arbitration center and uh, my two colleagues are going to uh, tell us about it. Uh, is, uh, Delos is from a Greek word, isn't it? Yes, I think it means um, uh, what can be seen. And it's ah. the, um, okay. uh, the sacred island of Apollo. But I, I may be wrong. I, I have to, ah. I check that a long time ago, but um, I may be wrong. Yes. Uh, Galina, do you know what it, what it means? Delos is a Greek word, I think. Well, for me, it sounds extremely Greek, and I thought like this part will be taken care of by Addis, right? Uh. But uh, <laughs> we have to, uh, we, we, we have to, you know, like have a help of dealers people right now to explain to us. But mm -hmm. it sounds, you know, like the name itself, obviously, it, it evokes thoughts of Greece, and uh, together with this, you know, like so how it was in ancient times, right? Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. like wisdom, uh, you know, like Greek uh, philosophy of wisdom. So it's it kind of goes well with arbitration, right? And it's mm -hmm. also in a lot of you know, like there's uh, books and publications about history of arbitration, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like history, you know, like how it was arbitration in ancient Greece, including, right? So I think when people were looking for a uh, title for a name of an institution, this was something in, on their mind and something what impacted them. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, Galina, can you tell us a few words about uh, DILOS uh, dispute resolution, like in one, two paragraphs, what it is and uh, uh, when, when was it uh, founded and how it works? Well, uh, let's start with this. Is, uh, Dilos is a very new institution, and it's a really very young institution, young institution in terms of age. I mm -hmm. think they are maybe 80 years old. Uh, 
but also in terms of age of people who drive it, right? So mm. we organize mm -hmm. this, we organize this, we, uh, you know, the driving force behind is are very young uh, people with, uh, with very good arbitration experience, with substantive arbitration experience. They were mm -hmm. and they are, uh, you know, basically we, we're speaking about two people where, you know, like, uh, one of them was with a leading arbitration law firm decade for for many for many years you know like an arbitration practice in paris and then in dubai you know like so he has a lot of practical experience mm -hmm. uh, this is half a three and then thomas Grenier and uh, thomas uh, who's a french um, national i had a pleasure to work with him uh, before because we coincided uh, at um, the international court of well, at the ICC, uh, uh, International Court of Arbitration. So we were colleagues where I was counsel in one of the teams and he mm -hmm. was deputy counsel. So, and uh, Tamar, he stayed in arbitration. So he's, mm -hmm. he's a practical okay. experience is approximately 12 years. Mm -hmm. So these are people who are, you know, like young age, Mm -hmm. And they say, like, maybe there is something new that can be done in the arbitration mm -hmm. market. And I appreciate that initiative. So mm -hmm. they approached uh, the idea, again, from a different angle, saying, uh, okay, we have seen the ICC, you know, like Tomah was at the ICC and then he worked for a leading law firm uh, working with major cases. The same thing for half us, you know, like once you work for decades, you work with big cases. Mm -hmm. But when you say arbitration, it's not only about these massive cases, right? like massive in terms of like major cases, big amount of disputes. There mm -hmm. like a lot of arbitrations about smaller disputes mm -hmm. and why not to set up something for smaller disputes? And I okay. think France is a good market for that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because there is no like a, um, a good alternative for that, I would say, you know, like at mm -hmm. least in, for international disputes. So they try to tackle this, to address this niche Mm -hmm. And to come up with, uh, you know, like innovative ideas. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and they do progress. They do progress. Mm -hmm. So to their credit, mm -hmm. there's like a lot of progress. So people know mm -hmm. about Dallas. People do podcasts about Dallas. This is not the case with every institution, right? So mm -hmm. they're definitely very good with BD. Okay. If you can just clarify there that yeah. uh, when um, Galina says smaller disputes, uh, she means probably uh, within the range of 2 to 15 million euros because that is mm -hmm. the bulk of uh, cases going to arbitration. So okay. uh, for a small jurisdiction like Cyprus, these are not small disputes. They're considered to be significant disputes. Absolutely, yeah. But it's taking into account that there are disputes at the ICC and the CIA of like uh, billions mm -hmm. or hundreds of millions, then these are considered to be relatively small. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is a good point, but I think I would uh, a little bit disagree here, not strongly, but I wouldn't, you know, like, I mean, every institution can have a dispute up to 15 million. I mean, this is clear, you know, like it's, just, uh, you know, like whatever dispute comes to you. But I think uh, the organizers of dealers, uh, you know, like they're open, obviously, for any disputes, uh, but they even started uh, in before, like there's a lot of consumer disputes. Mm -hmm. you know, like, and consumer mm -hmm. disputes, they are obviously not in millions, or they're not about millions, right? It may be about 2,000, 5,000, and maybe about 50,000. So uh, I think there's also like they look at this niche, uh, you know, like, uh, which counts like in thousands, be mm -hmm. that like 5,000, mm -hmm. 50, 200, and more. Mm -hmm. uh, which is I, I okay. would, yeah. So um, I guess. Um, if I understand, first of all, let me say that I have posted the uh, the URL link of the website of Dilos. Uh, it's dilosdr.org. And um, there is a lot of information uh, on the website about the institution and what it does. Um, I guess, does it have uh, a correspondence in each country, because I saw from uh, from from the website that for for each country there is a law firm. How, how does it work? The organization. Yes, actually, um, one of the best ideas that they've had was mm -hmm. to have local reporters in uh, well, in, not in all jurisdictions, but in most mm -hmm. jurisdictions, at least the jurisdictions mm -hmm. that are important in the arbitration world, 
Okay. And they are trying to uh, increase them every year. Uh, mm -hmm. So what they do is they get information, local advice, on uh, what is the state of arbitration in that jurisdiction. And mm -hmm. um, they, they publish the reports, mm -hmm. but they also use that um, as a, uh, they use the data uh, to prepare their um, green light list, as they call it, or the safe seat list, mm -hmm. meaning that um, you get a green light for every issue for which your jurisdiction is um, um, uh, in an acceptable standard. And if you have okay. all green lights, Mm -hmm. um, then you are considered to be, then you may be considered to be a safe seat. Mm -hmm. That, of course, depends on various issues which DELOS um, uh, processes. Mm -hmm. But it is a very, very important function, I think, because mm -hmm. um, it is often the case that when we select a seat or when we ask an institution to select a seat for us, mm -hmm. that we do not have the information that we need in order to mm -hmm. decide whether that seat is. Uh, um, a good seat in general and suitable for the particular dispute. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very special function of DELOS. Okay. Uh, is Cyprus a safe seat? It is, yes. It's all green lights. Uh, okay. uh, we, we do have um, uh, uh, some negatives, which um, you and I know very well. For example, the um, delays in court proceedings, uh, mm -hmm. which could cause delays in arbitrations. Uh, but um, uh, yes, we uh, we have green light on all issues. Mm -hmm. Let me make a parenthesis here, uh, Galina. In Latvia, what is the average time for the adjudication of a civil case in your uh, legal system? You ask me a good question. I'm not practicing in Latvia for 20 years. Ah, you are not. Uh, <laughs> I'm practicing from Paris. But, in, okay, in, in yeah. Paris. In France, I mean, so it, it goes into a few years, you know, like few it goes years. into a few years also mm -hmm. because, I mean, we obviously have few instances, right? You mm -hmm. have first instance, you have appeal instance, sometimes mm -hmm. you go even, you know, like to the Supreme Court, whatever, uh, concession, you know, like if it's France. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so of course, it can turn into several years. Arbitration yeah. uh, without appeal. Uh, mm -hmm. It is normally shorter. It is mm -hmm. normally shorter, even for, you know, maybe not for, again, exceptionally big cases, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but it may take few months and it may take one year and a half, two years. You know, mm -hmm. like I will okay. make here, um, I will make here a little bit parallel with the ICC, mm -hmm. uh, International Court of Arbitration, because, uh, you know, like obviously it's an institution which runs big dispute and pursuant to our statistics, the average length of international arbitration proceedings is, you know, less than two years. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think this corresponds roughly what we see, you know, uh, um, like for international cases, rather big ones, you need at least one year and a half to do it all. For yeah. smaller cases, shorter. Mm -hmm. So you, you have vast experience in international arbitration. And um, uh, if I ask you, what is that that distinguishes DILUS? Uh, dispute resolution from the other international arbitration center, would you be able to say uh, two or three characteristics that make uh, the laws distinct? Well, it's an institution which grows, right? Mm -hmm. Which is now right at the stage of, you know, like, this is like when you are born and now you have to show, I can do it, you know, like, okay. I, mm -hmm. and obviously when we speak about institution, you know, like there is institutional wall around the institution, but it's all about the people, you know, like, do you trust people who run this institution, right? It's about mm -hmm. that, you know, like trust in the institution and the people who run the institution. So mm -hmm. I think Dallas right now is at this stage at establishing its reputation, getting the cases, because cases also don't come to you in one year after you have established the institution, not at all. It's a long-term project. And mm -hmm. uh, this is what I like about these guys because they are realistic about it. They know they can't have 50 cases next year, right? It's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. um, I think they come up with innovative ideas mm -hmm. and the latest rules, which they approved and released this year, mm -hmm. uh, there are some interesting features, you know, uh, which, mm -hmm. Uh, show you the innovation 
uh, challenge or the innovation mood, whatever. We're not afraid of these innovations. And maybe, maybe big arbitration world is a little bit more conservative than they are. And they probably, you know, possibly will follow some of the innovations which Dallas offers today. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll see how this will uh, develop in the next years. But mm-hmm. there are definitely some tricks in the r- rules which okay. make you think. Uh, Ayes, could you identify some of the tricks? Or in your opinion, what, what uh, distinguishes Delos from other institutions? Well, um, uh, okay, before going into details about the rules, uh, some general issues. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Delos rules are quite small in length and simple which is, um, uh, it is always um, something which is seen uh, positively. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, however, they are very well drafted and concise. Um, mm-hmm. the, what the idea, I think, was, was to have a set of rules for all cases. Now, mm-hmm. the tendency um, in most institutions worldwide is to have different sets of rules, um, rules for... Um, small claims small, uh, for expedited procedures. Um, so they have different sets of rules depending on what the nature of the case is. Mm-hmm. What DILOS does is that they have one set of rules which is um, can work uh, with different categories of cases. And okay. the primary way in which they distinguish cases is um, according to the subject matter. Okay. So, if you are looking, if you have a small case, you are looking at a simpler procedure and the and the faster procedure. If mm-hmm. um, as the case goes up the scale, um, procedure can be a bit more complicated uh, and uh, lengthier. So yes. that's these are the general issues, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then there are some very distinctive characteristics, as Galina said, which mm-hmm. um, uh, some of them are quite innovative, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm very keen to see how they will be accepted by the community and Mm -hmm. um, how they will work in practice. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, Galina, one of these characteristics uh, is the active role of the tribunal, isn't it? Uh, There is like, is there a different perception uh, at the DELOS as to what is the role of the tribunal and the level of intervention? Uh, And uh, what would you say on that? Well, this is uh, this is a good question. You know, like I think all expect all institutions they do speak actually about the active role of the arbitrators mm-hmm. and uh, of the arbitral tribunal. Uh, it's uh, in, in my view, it's a little bit difficult topic, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, the efficiency of the proceedings does not depend only on the tribunal. It depends primarily. I would say on the parties and then of the tribunal, you know, like, so as mm. long as we have the parties agreement on certain things, you know, if the parties have agreed on a long time schedule, they have agreed on a long time schedule, it's very difficult to say uh, to a tribunal, let's shorten this timetable. Sometimes you may say, you know, like maybe we can have a hearing before. And I had the situation, some of my cases, you know, like uh, when we would go to the first meeting with the parties, you know, like first Zoom meeting, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, nowadays it's, it's all normal. And um, we would have certain ideas in our minds uh, as a members of a tribunal, how long this matter where we see in the request and the answer how long this matter may take. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly parties come up with longer procedure and we're like, okay, other parties in agreement and both parties, obviously we have discussed this already in the telephone. So it's, it's very difficult to put when shorter deadlines, you see? Okay. So it's like you can be active, but, but there are limits to what, you know, like what you can do. So mm-hmm. I think in this respect, uh, you know, like this is not so much different from other institutions. Mm-hmm. What is in these rules, and when I was reading them, it's uh, definitely what, um, you know, like what attracted my attention, mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, before the tribunal renders the award, and I have to check which article it was, uh, the tribunal with the parties agreement can actually give a non-binding version of, uh, you know, like of its decision to the parties. And then the parties may see whether they agree with it and then basically go with kind of a settlement, right? Mm-hmm. 
it's it, it it's it's a provocative provision it's a very provocative provision mm-hmm. and it's very much depends on um, I think like what is your legal background what is your experience as to whether you accept this provision whether you're comfortable as a tribunal with this provision or not mm-hmm. and uh, if I'm speaking Chilong Christopher was just cut me, uh, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had recently, I'm a member of the ICC Commission on ADR, and there is now task force on um, uh, arbitration and other uh, ways of settlement of dispute. So okay. the idea is to see how arbitration can be combined with other methods of dispute resolution, like uh, mm-hmm. mediation, uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. You, 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 you name them, right? Mm-hmm. And in some, we had people from different backgrounds, and in some jurisdictions, some legal systems, mm-hmm. it is accepted that the judge, and by default an arbitrator, can uh, tell the parties its preliminary thoughts on the dispute and say, you know what, I actually think you know, like this party has right on this point and this party is wrong on this point, so most mm-hmm. probably like, my decision will go this way. So okay. the idea was like, why we wouldn't it introduce it like, on a like, more international level? Mm-hmm. And people from our jurisdiction were saying, no, 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 was here. Mm-hmm. Arbitrators mm-hmm. don't have this function, you know, like, and yes. uh, as an arbitrator, I cannot say anything. I prejudge the dispute. I prejudge mm. the decision. It's impartiality. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a clash of legal mm-hmm. cultures here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will be even more specific. You know, like in Germany, this is basically an accepted practice. Mm-hmm. And again, I... I I, um, I was looking at with this uh, German arbitration institution rules of arbitration. You know, like I had case with them recently, and where indeed the arbitrator can do can provide preliminary reports to the okay. parties. You know, mm-hmm. whereas this is not in my legal upbringing. Mm-hmm. I, I like obviously it's cool, you know, like I never did it, but also how I practice arbitration in different fora, I never saw it. So this is something mm-hmm. foreign to me. I'm not that comfortable about it, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but but probably this point has a point in it, okay. right? It's okay. not a bad idea, mm-hmm. uh, but right. it's something we will see how this will develop into the future, mm-hmm. right? But this is definitely calls for a hot debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess before you comment on this, uh, our colleague, Dr. Anna Plevry, uh, she uh, explains to us what DILOS means. So DILOS means apparent, and it is a Greek word from the Lumeno, and it is the name of a Greek island. So both arbitration and Delos have Greek origin. So Anna, thank you very much. It's her name day tomorrow. So Anna is always a lifesaver. Thank you, Anna. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess what is your take on this active tribunal thing, uh, considering that the jurisdiction that we come from, the courts, have to be impartial, not express an opinion, and not to go into the dispute? Well, it's, it was actually one of the things that we were discussing and disagreeing with uh, Galina. So um, uh, I, I'll, I'll try to give the data so that um, you can form your own opinion. I, I think that um, the, um, the common law world is uh, moving away from the traditional uh, adversarial model where mm-hmm. the uh, judge is passive. Um, uh, this is what I've seen in the, the CPR, um, the English CPR of 1998. This is what I, I see in the new CPR that will be introduced um, in Cyprus. And I think it is the tendency in international arbitration, even in purely common law tribunals, um, for uh, arbitrators to have a more active role, meaning that they do not allow the parties to tailor the proceedings um, as they wish, but they do have a strong opinion often uh, about issues and um, how they are to be resolved. And um, there is um, an increased efficiency resulting from this, I think. And Mm -hmm. um, just to, for people who are not into this, um, a a simple exercise to see uh, how different the perspectives are is to compare the IBA rules on the taking of evidence and the the Prague rules. The former uh, were 
well, it, well, they are, have been criticized as being uh, largely the work of common law lawyers, whereas the Prague rules have been um, developed as an answer of the um, continental system. Mm -hmm. uh, if one reads the two instruments, uh, uh, he or she will see that the differences are vast, um, uh, totally different perceptions of what justice is and how justice should be served. Um, mm -hmm. Now, which one is better or worse? I mean, it's a matter of a, a very long, lengthy discussion. I will not comment on that. So, mm -hmm. uh, having seen this difference, um, I think I, I also see that they, uh, there is um, a tendency for an abridgment and the, uh, from both sides. Mm -hmm. um, what most rules do, and this is where I disagree with Galina, is that they um, tend to um, not to prescribe um, uh, active powers of the tribunals, but they rather leave it largely on the lex arbitri, the law applicable mm -hmm. to the proceeding. Mm -hmm. And if that law uh, allows uh, a more active role of the tribunal, then that tribunal is free to take. Um, whereas what the Delos rules do, which is different, is that they expressly state that the tribunal will have this active role and that it has certain powers, for example, to ask the parties to uh, consider certain issues or to truncate deadlines for submissions or to make submissions, mm -hmm. um, which are more close to the continental uh, system, as I think. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that is um, uh, a point of disagreement. But um, mm -hmm. on the other hand, it, I think the um, ultimate question is, what does one mean uh, by active? Mm -hmm. Because once we... Um, uh, consider that, we may see that even on the definition of that term, people may have a very different idea about what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so it's certainly a matter uh, that needs to be discussed and, and it needs to be seen in practice how it works, of course, to, to see how it will be received by the, uh, the community in general. Another, um, Galina, another characteristic that uh, caught my attention was this, um, uh, the mechanism for uh, the settlement uh, procedure and that the way I understand it, the arbitration procedure can uh, stop to uh, enter into a settlement negotiation phase. So could you talk us a little bit about this? Uh, even before arbitration starts, attempts to settle, or as I understand it, during the arbitration? Well, I think, again, approaches um, similar across different jurisdictions here, you know, like settlement, you know, like if we speak about disputes, it's normal to have some pauses to try to settle, you know, like I'm, I'm teaching arbitration and I'm mm -hmm. telling to my students, you know, like in our family life, we always have disputes, you know, like, and, uh, you know, like it's just a matter how you solve them, you know. Uh, so uh, it's, it's good sometimes to take a pause. And once there is, you know, like one thing is how you try to negotiate before the arbitration uh, has started, before the uh, request for arbitration has been filed. Because, um, you know, like, okay, there is a threat, but there is nothing concrete. Once there is a request for arbitration, of course, another party would feel a little bit intimidated, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that party also actually, the respondent can uh, fight back very hard and submit major counterclaims, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like then also the uh, leverage changes. So um, it's good then to see all the parties' position in writing and at this point of time, or, you know, like maybe after first procedural meeting with the arbitral tribunal, maybe later and so on, it's like stage can be very different. There is no rule. There's like really no rule in this, in this field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then the parties say like to the tribunal, uh, please 
put these proceedings in abeyance for a while because we are trying to to have a settlement here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like normally the tribunal, of course, will uh, accommodate this wish of the parties because this is what the parties want. This is for the better of everyone. Mm-hmm. And... Um, here also, like proactive role of a tribunal, you know, like I, I link uh, to mm-hmm. your previous question. I think uh, the question is also: Should the tribunal sometimes tell the parties? But you know what? Why don't you put the dispute on pause and go and try to settle the disputes? You mean the tribunal itself, without tri- being without being asked by the parties e- to e- do exactly, that? Exactly, exactly. You know, like it's it's a very active role of a tribunal. Of course, right? So but does the tribunal? You see, it's you see, you you shake the hands, and this is the yeah. right this is the right reaction. And again, you know, like it's I I, I was a little bit skeptical about this, hmm. but then I will tell you, it really depends on the case. It really depends hmm. on the case because recently I was in a case. I was sitting as a co-arbitrator, and. Uh, and the president, at a certain point of time, told the parties. The parties, it wasn't like a major dispute. Uh, this was uh, between rather small companies in Central Asia in China. And then we told the parties, but what we see, that you want to continue your business relationship, right? You still need those things which didn't arrive. But there is a possibility, you know, like, so... Like what we hear from you, you know, like there is a possibility to agree something, right? And we explain this to them. We say like, okay, you have a dispute. Uh, there was even like more procedural complications. And we say like, but why don't you speak? We don't want you, like if we have to decide, we will decide. But listen to each other, uh, because from outside, it seems like there are joint, uh, like common business interests. And then you come back to us. If we'll have to continue, we'll continue. If not, you may bring to our settlement agreement. We will make an award out of this. Uh, it will be enforceable and so on and so forth. And the parties came back to us for a week's time and said, like, we settled. So, mm-hmm. you know, like this was... A clear example to me, but sometimes it works, but it will very much depend on on your feeling of the parties, on your feeling of the dispute. And I think this is a fine line for the tribunal not to cross the border, you know, like, mm. but it's mm-hmm. not the same border for all cases. It really yeah. depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I see that there is a possibility even after uh, the proceedings are concluded to have a settlement phase. Right. So, h- how does this work, and what is your opinion generally on uh, on this uh, pause for settlement uh, idea? Uh, well, I think that any uh, position that there is um, a right time for uh, discussions for settlement for every case is dogmatic and completely wrong. Um, uh, the identifying the right time. Um, uh, when, proceed, when, uh, when such discussions can take place mm-hmm. uh, is a very, very difficult task. And there are many different theories on it, and there is a lot of uh, literature on the subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that what um, uh, the rules uh, potentially do here is mm-hmm. that they give a learned uh, tribunal the possibility to assist the parties to identify the right time for discussions. Um, it is not just a matter of, it's, it's a cultural thing. It depends on um, uh, the nature of the dispute, the nature of the allegations. I, I, you, you can understand that if we have a dispute which uh, involves issues of um, um, uh, illegality or fraud or um, uh, uh, mm-hmm. taking away the assets of a company uh, between two former friends and mutual shareholders in a company, then they will be ready to attack each other at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a purely commercial dispute between parties that have an ongoing relationship, then it is very different. So mm-hmm. uh, it's also very different depending on what the uh, culture is. The Chinese culture of settlement is uh, a lot stronger uh, than ours. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, you, you need to appreciate all of these things. So what the rules do is that they give a learned tribunal the um, the power to advise in a way, or maybe advice is the wrong word, 
to assist the parties to find the right time uh, and place it on the procedural timetable. So mm-hmm. uh, that can be at the beginning, it could be during the proceedings, maybe after the pleadings, or it could be after the, the, um, uh, the award is reserved. Mm-hmm. And um, another uh, issue here is that the, the rule works both ways because mm-hmm. a, a tribunal that is not learned uh, could easily uh, be, um, will allow uh, such proceedings to be abused by recalcitrant parties. So mm-hmm. by prescribing this power in the rules, uh, you are basically normalizing in the way this power so that it can be exercised with some prudence and within certain uh, reasonable limits. Mm-hmm. So I, I find it to be a very useful tool, again. Very good idea. Does it have, uh, does the tribunal impose a timeline, a time frame on the parties to find a settlement or is it open-ended? No, usually it's um, usually it's not open ended. Usually, okay. um, the the tribunal would probably say something like, um, uh, "We have a cutoff date for submissions, uh, meaning mm-hmm. that there will be no further submissions from that date." And mm-hmm. before we um, call you in so that we start organizing the hearing, we will have uh, a, a settlement um, uh, attempt. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's called a cooling off period. Okay. Uh, which will last for one or two or three months, uh, so that uh, you can uh, meet and discuss and hopefully find the settlement of the case. But uh, mm-hmm. this is just one um, scenario. It could be it, it could be anything basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Galina, procedurally wise, can you explain us in simple terms how the procedure begins? I mean, both parties have to submit to the uh, and adopt the DILOS uh, rules, and then. Uh, how does it work? Do they apply to DELOS to appoint an, an arbitrator? All right. Um, I think the procedure is classical in some respect and, again, innovative in some other respects. You know, mm-hmm. as in court proceedings, as in any other kind of dispute, you know, like where is a claimant, where is a respondent, so the party mm-hmm. or who initiate the dispute submits uh, some sort of a document. Uh, here, we don't call it a request for arbitration. I think it, it is called notice. Uh, you know, and when respondent comes with its notice of defense, I think mm-hmm. this is the terminology. So, mm-hmm. uh, a priori, you know, like it's, it's the same as in any national court. The language? Any, uh, uh, the, um, I think before they advertise themselves, like they could work in four languages, and mm-hmm. now they say like basically in any, like in most of the languages. But mm-hmm. again, it's it's uh, I I would say it's not a huge deal because again, if we speak about international things, I mean it's mostly English. Then okay, Delos is in France is like French, right? So mm-hmm. I mean it's not like. Uh, uh, well, we don't even speak about Greek or Turkish because there's like big community who speak this language, but okay. these are not like small, small languages. So this is, I, I would say like language is not an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, what is interesting, or what I noticed, you know, like, and this may be also links with the uh, complexity of cases they are trying to attract and uh, they, they, they target. What they do at the end, you know, like, and this is where Annex is, this is something unusual because first few appendices uh, with a model notice of arbitration, model notice of uh, mm-hmm. response to arbitration. Normally, uh, rules of arbitration of the institutions, they don't provide like this for this model uh, request, model notice of arbitration. They decided to go this way, and probably it also makes sense from their business perspective because, um, again, uh, there are some very well-educated, high-caliber mm-hmm. counsel in international arbitration. But mm-hmm. since the practice of arbitration is growing, you know, mm-hmm. like, and it's always growing, there are like a lot of newcomers who don't know, 
mm. like how, how to draft the document. So mm-hmm. for them, this document can be like this model notice of arbitration can be of help. Or if we speak about consumer disputes, you know, like mm. again, consumer for consumer, you know, like to high a lawyer, this is obviously a, a big uh, expense, you know, like, so why not to go uh, with this model? So this is something unusual. Another thing, which uh, again, if I understood it correctly, but which is unusual for me, which is not traditional and classical, uh, dealer's rules say, so there is a notice of arbitration by claimant, mm-hmm. there is a notice of response, whatever it is called, by the respondent, and then the parties will nominate their co-arbitrators, if this is a three-member arbitral tribunal. Ah, okay. Normally, how it is done, the claimant submits request for arbitration and puts on his name, Right. And then when the respondent receives the request for arbitration, a respondent already sees who is the arbitrator nominated by the claimant. So mm-hmm. here, the, uh, the constitution of a tribunal is postponed somewhat. Okay. So uh, it's, it's uh, you know, like it's also a valid proposal. I would mm-hmm. not necessarily uh, dispute with it. And uh, what is interesting, I think, like from the arbitrator's perspective, that uh, we, you know, like we know who our counsel, you know, like normally by the sta- stage, we know who our counsel, not only to the claimant, but also to the respondent. Okay. So when I agree, you know, like it's like, okay, I'm available, I want to take, I'm available to take this matter, that you are not in the dark who are the respondents' counsel. So this is mm-hmm. one of the things which just come to my mind, uh, my mind mm-hmm. by, uh, like this. So mm-hmm. this, is, this is a little bit unusual way of uh, how to constitute the tribunal. But uh, again, innovative, uh, we'll see how mm-hmm. this will work in practice. But uh, it, it, has, uh, it has positive moments to it. Mm-hmm. Ayis, um, is there a procedure for uh, obtaining uh, ex parte remedy or interim orders in, this, uh, in the rules? Yes, there is an express provision for that um, mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the new rules, uh, mm-hmm. which is... Um, um, with, can be a very uh, again a very useful mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, uh, when we um, are uh, talking about measures, uh, mm-hmm. we need to remember that in arbitration we we lack the coercive powers that exist mm. in state courts. Mm-hmm. Um, whether whether that makes it less uh, likely to be enforced is a big issue to discuss because even if you have a let's say that you have court proceedings and you issue an injunction against a person not to do something. You issue mm-hmm. that injunction in Cyprus, and that person is resident in uh, Moscow. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, I mean, unless that person travels to Cyprus, uh, it's not possible it, to enforce it. It's not possible to enforce it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, with that in mind, and um, taking into account that in most arbitration, international arbitration disputes, parties are located in different jurisdictions, and uh, coercive powers cannot easily touch upon them anyway. Um, mm-hmm. it, it may not make much of a difference. It will mm-hmm. make a difference in um, simple measures. For example, when freezing a bank account or um, um, prohibition of selling real estate, for example, because you know okay. very well that you can actually enforce that judgment by going to the land registry or to the bank. Yes. Whereas an arbitration award cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I think it is um, it is a, a power which is useful. It is very often complied with voluntarily by the parties, and it mm-hmm. also it is also a deterrent uh, for parties to act unreasonably. For example, to destroy evidence or to move around assets when they should mm-hmm. be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yes, but still, Galina, the issue of uh, of enforcement is a huge one, isn't it, in arbitration? Because you do not have the power that courts have and the, and the repercussions from not following a court order, isn't it? Well, you know, like it's, it's all about enforceable awards. It's all about mm. enforceable awards, you know, like because what uh, we are trying to, to sell in this area, be your counsel or arbitrator or institution, mm-hmm. this is 
if a party does not comply with the, the with decision voluntarily, this decision will be and it's, it's possible to enforce it. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's all about uh, it's all about compliance and enforceability. You know, like mm-hmm. I wouldn't say like it's only about enforceability because, again, if we look at the data uh, and there is no one single set of statistics uh, you know like about the compliance with arbitral awards it's impossible to have this kind of statistics because arbitration is confidential you know like there's like uh, some institutional arbitration you know like not all institutions publish statistics then there is a doc arbitration so we don't have you know like a clear idea you know like how many awards are out there and how many are complied with uh, and how many are not but there is a um, good um, compilation, you know, like or attempt to kind of uh, get some statistics. And this was done by Lucas Mistelis Tavrobrikolakis from the Queen, uh, Mary Queen College in, in London. And they look at the, uh, you know, they ask users of arbitration, you know, like how, how, mm-hmm. how it works in practice. And in practice, in most kind of cases, you know, like in almost 90% of cases, there is a voluntary compliance with the arbitral award. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the system works. The system works. It's not a perfect system, but it works very well. It works very well. So the question of impossibility, it's a, about like the remaining 15, 10%, you know, like when there is no voluntary compliance, how to enforce uh, those uh, awards. And, uh, and then we mm-hmm. come back to this safe uh, seats uh, and, uh, well, seats of arbitration from one side mm-hmm. and then heavens uh, for, uh, for keeping your assets, right? And mm-hmm. how to get access to your assets. Mm-hmm. I guess, I, if I am not mistaken, in the new rules, there is this compliance enforcement mechanism uh, in Article 16. Yes, that's, that's also an innovation of the new rules, which is... Um, yes, can you tell us what this is? It's it very basi- briefly. Um, it, it basically, usually when um, uh, an arbitration leads to a final award, then mm-hmm. the, uh, the arbitration institution doesn't really have anything to do with the dispute, with the issue anymore. Um, mm-hmm. What DILOS um, are trying to do here is they mm-hmm. try to follow up to see if there has been a compliance with the award. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, if there has not been a compliance, um, uh, then the uh, DILOS will decide on whether to publish uh, the fact of non-compliance on their side. Of course, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not done always. It's, uh, they have a discretion and they will listen to the parties before they do that because there may be some very valid reasons why the award has not been complied with. But mm-hmm. I think the, um, the idea behind it is uh, that if a party uh, to an arbitration, an unsuccessful party, refuses to comply with an award with no good reason, uh, then um, having this uh, published uh, it has some adverse consequences on that party, and it mm-hmm. may assist um, in pushing that party to compliance. So mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's the idea, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I will say for our viewers that the the rules are posted on the website. Um, I've gone through them uh, very briefly, and they are relatively straightforward. I would say, uh, in comparison with the the rules uh, of procedure of other uh, international institutions, I will post here the link uh, on Facebook of the of the rules so that everybody can see them. Uh, Galina, the, the final topic I want to touch upon is that of the costs. So in terms of costs uh, and compared with other international arbitration institutions, uh, does DELOS offer an advantage? Is it cheaper? Is it more cost efficient? I see in the rules that there is an appendix uh, and we have a scale system depending on the level of the claim. So what is your comment on that? Well, of course, we are competing against many other institutions, uh, right? The competitions becomes, you know, like more and more fierce. Um, I looked at the scale. I looked at the scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be uh, cheaper than, mm-hmm. uh, than uh, let's say, like major international centers. Mm-hmm. 
they perhaps compete with some um, other regional centers. Mm. Um, so I would say, you know, like uh, it's it's cheaper. It's obviously cheaper than ICC or Stockholm mm-hmm. or London, okay. uh, Vienna, etc. But they do compete with uh, other centers, uh, which is also normal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, there is um, there is a fork, you know, like the minimum and maximum, uh, you know, like yes. it's, uh, it's not unusual. Mm-hmm. And then there is also a time limit within mm-hmm. uh, which we what has to be uh, rendered and. Uh, uh, again, it's a good attempt, you know, like to keep arbitration under control, you know, like cost uh, and cost together with arbitration under control, because if there is a time limit on everyone, it's, uh, you know, like it, it has its positive effects. Mm-hmm. But then again, we have to be realistic. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how always it is possible to keep uh, complied with the time of limit. Of course, the, the time limit is indicative, as I understand it, right? It's not... Uh it's, it's uh, in all systems, it's indicative. In mm-hmm. basically all systems, um, mm-hmm. the institution, uh, like very often, the institution says, like, this is our time limit, but it mm-hmm. can be extended. Uh, mm-hmm. So the institution, board, the court, you know, like whatever, whatever it's called, council, retains mm-hmm. the right to extend this time limit. Yes. Mm-hmm. So for a claim, I is between 50 to 200,000 euros. There is an arbitration cost beginning at 4,400 euros. Uh, I, I, I guess this is a filing fee uh, for filing the case or is the overall cost? Uh, no, that's, that's, uh, the overall cost is that amount plus a percentage of the amount in dispute. That's mm-hmm. how it is calculated. Okay. Uh, but um, j- um, in, in a case, in a, in a significant arbitration case, Mm-hmm. Uh, the cost of the tribunal is not always the major concern of the party. Yes, this is what I was going to ask you. What about the cost of the lawyers? That, that's a separate thing, isn't it? Well, yes, of course, that's, it depends on what you, um, uh, what you get. I mean, um, I've, I've, I've been in a case where the team uh, for the claimants was 27 people. So you can imagine what the cost of that case was. Okay. Some of them very, very senior lawyers. Um, yeah. But it, it, that's not, that's not a, an ordinary case. But mm-hmm. um, in, um, uh, if you have rules that allow um, fast procedures, simple mm-hmm. procedures, then mm-hmm. that will inevitably lessen the uh, lawyer's cost as well. Yes. Uh, so from, from that point of view, I mm-hmm. think that dealers are making a, a decent effort to mm-hmm. minimize cost in the sense that the tribunal's costs and the institution's costs are, um, uh, as Galina said, um, uh, quite cheap compared to the major institutions and com- uh, comparable to other regional institutions. Mm-hmm. But the ability that they give to the tribunal to make the procedure simpler and faster means mm-hmm. that the client may end up paying less. Uh, in general, so that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a, a, a good thing about about. That. Yeah, and and these fees are paid in advance, right? Yes, I suppose. Yeah, in order for the case to to start. Yes, and uh, mm-hmm. if um, if the uh, respondent is not willing to pay his shares, the claimant may be asked to pay the full share himself. So that could be a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Galina, have you been involved in DILO's dispute resolution cases as an arbitrator or as a, as a counsel? Not yet. Not I yet. will be honest, not yet. But again, as I said, the institution is relatively new. So, mm-hmm. if you are eight years old, it's unreasonable to expect a mm-hmm. big caseload in such a short period of time. But I know mm-hmm. they already had few references to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's... Uh, it has taken off, yeah. Yes. Are yes, you? No, me neither, me neither. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Same with Galina. I've, uh, I'm trying to follow their developments. I haven't mm-hmm. had a case with them yet, uh, but I, I think that the way uh, things are progressing, um, mm-hmm. 
sooner or later we will have some experience on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think we, ha we have covered the main topics. Uh, we have said what it is and made uh, a reasonably good presentation to anybody that is interested by way of introduction, of course. Um, the website is very good. Uh, and I would invite anyone that is interested in this to, to have a look on the website and the model uh, articles and clauses that are available there, the model agreements. The rules are very simple and straightforward. So um, um, I would give uh, from one minute to each of you to, to make uh, your final remark and we will uh, close the discussion, starting from uh, Galina. Galina, are you in Latvia now or in France? No, I'm in France. I'm based ah. uh, permanently in, uh, in Paris. Okay. Well, I, you know, like my final remark will be on, um, on, on, on a question you, which you asked to Adis, actually. I think mm -hmm. the innovation, for me, the main innovation they came up with is this compliance reinforcement mechanism. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this possibility that, you know, like provided uh, requirements are met and the requirements are set in the annex, there's a possibility to publish information information about uh, whether one of the parties did not comply, uh, does not comply with the award. I think mm -hmm. this is something new, something mm -hmm. very, very strong and very courageous proposal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very much about transparency of, of arbitration. We speak nowadays a lot about transparency, but mm -hmm. this is, you know, like it goes further and probably, you know, big institutions, they still did not address it from this point of view. Okay. But I wouldn't exclude, I wouldn't exclude that uh, not in one or two years' time, but in five, maybe 10 years' time, uh, maybe 15, 20 even, we'll be speaking of something similar also with a big leading international institutions, you know, like where we want to have this information about how the parties comply with the words. Mm -hmm. we, we want this information accessible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think this is, for me, the main takeaway from this revision of the Divas rules. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess in, in Cyprus, of course, uh, in the last couple of years, we are trying to encourage uh, our colleagues to be interested about arbitration more in view of the problems that we have in the court system. So I would like your remark on that as well. Uh, wh where do you think uh, is the where are we going? Do you feel encouraged by uh, by the responsiveness of Cypriot lawyers uh, towards arbitration? Well, I'm, I'm naturally optimistic, so I'm hoping that it will go well. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think I think that uh, there is a lot more interest in arbitration ADR uh, now than um, uh, there was like ten or mm -hmm. fifteen years ago. I think that what people do not appreciate is that um, um, arbitration, international arbitration, is uh, requires uh, discipline and uh, focus. Mm -hmm. It's not something that it, it is easy to do uh, if it involves like five or ten percent of your work time. It is something that you do full time or most of mm -hmm. the time. Of your work. Okay. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's not easy to follow um, the developments mm -hmm. um, throughout the world. Okay. Um, but uh, I see that uh, 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 I see more and more colleagues uh, which are very well learned on the subject um, mm -hmm. uh, dealing with cases in the last few years. And I think that we're doing quite well in developing it in Cyprus. Mm -hmm. um, now, just say something about dealers, if I may. Uh, yeah. there, there are many initiatives um, worldwide. Uh, Dilos appears to be doing things right, and that's why we're discussing it right now. Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, what started as a discussion over a, a drink a few years ago, um, when um, the founders were saying that we will set up an arbitration institution, and uh, that was um, well uh, seen with some hesitation by many of us. Uh, mm -hmm. Is now uh, working. Um, mm -hmm. 
Illosis has purchased property in uh, in London. They are setting up an arbitration center. They are have disputes. So, mm -hmm. for for people who are interested in this field, mm -hmm. um, it is worth to follow the developments with Delos, even if they do not use it. It is mm -hmm. important to follow that. Okay. Um, and um, if I may uh, abuse my time and just also mm -hmm. say thank you to you and thank you to Galina. Galina is a person that I know for more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. I know her since her time at the ICC. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's um, uh, a, a very important personality in international arbitration, very well known mm -hmm. worldwide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You are too generous, but it's I'm a not, pleasure. We, we haven't seen each other for two years in person, and we're just <laughs> missing uh, meeting an hour. But uh, Christopher, you know, like I, you know, like I will keep others uh, to his words because he said, like, once he will organize Cyprus arbitration conference during the Opera Festival in Cyprus, right? <laughs> and so this is when I will come. <laughs> Okay. Pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. It was my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, Galina for uh, meeting you and having this discussion. Of course, okay. I, I meet him from time to time uh, because we eat at the same restaurant <laughs> uh, near uh, uh, the office. So we have more interaction. So uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to this podcast. Uh, it will be available tomorrow on all social media and you can download it from uh, YouTube, Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, uh, I will be with you tomorrow with a discussion about corruption, uh, another hot topic uh, in Cyprus, Galina, corruption. Uh, we, we are struggling with it. So it's, uh, in many okay. jurisdictions, it's, it is a hot potato. Uh, we will talk about this tomorrow. So thank you, everyone. Have a nice evening and see you soon. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.